they're unwilling to tell me to go to hell, which is what they ought to do. <laughs> how to follow a passion, how to be much more of a self-directed learner. I can't think of anything that would be more useful. A lot of it's a form of class warfare. Resources are taken away from those schools all in the name of trying to raise test scores. And I think for a lot of the kids, we will rekindle curiosity. And if that happens, then this could become transformative. This pandemic has forced students to learn at home and educators have had to make a fast pivot to remote teaching. This season, I'm talking with teachers and students across the United States to find the silver linings of our situation, to find out what matters most in school, and to use those lessons as we reimagine the future of education. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. Mitch Ziegler, in his 34th year of teaching, has advised the pacemaker and gold crown winning newspaper and yearbook at Redondo Union High School for 30 years. After 27 years of teaching English, his principal allowed him to switch to photography, which rejuvenated his career. He is married and has two adult sons. He wonders how he can write that he has adult sons. His youngest son is living at home now, working as a graphic artist and frequently busts his dad in snarky comments. And I think that's kind of like the gold for you is like snarky comments, right? Like as a dad, I'm always telling dad jokes. It's like, can you get better than that? I don't think, you know. Oh yeah, he's killed me lately in some of the things. we Little family um, texting. Yeah. I thought I was being funny and then he just sort of destroyed me. (laughs) That's important. (laughs) Um, This is great, Mitch. So we've known each other for several years through journalism circles, through the high school journalism uh, associations and things. And uh, you teach down the street from me. So sort of a similar community, a certain geographic area anyway, um, but sort of a very different demographic of students. Um, So I'm really glad that you're here. Um, You've inspired me, you've inspired my students and, um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation to get your ideas. I, I know like as a journalism teacher, it's, it's kind of tricky because we were just talking before we started this conversation about our students are supposed to go out into the world to record footage and meet people and observe for themselves objectively and work in teams collaboratively. And that has definitely uh, changed in the school lockdowns and things like that. But um, I'm sort of wondering, um, are, what do you secretly like about working from home? Well, I'll tell you one thing. This yearbook deadline was the easiest of my career. We, I didn't have to spend time in class. We were prepared. The students are using online InDesign and PageMaker. And we've used this since last year. All I had to do was upload certain files to the uh, company server. And then I was able to download the entire server in class onto a four terabyte hard drive, which I handed off to my editor. So they had every photograph, everything they needed to get the job done. And honestly, over the years, they've gotten kind of tired of having to do deadlines at school. They prefer having a little bit more flexibility. So that, that's been phenomenally easy. Although at the same time, I wasn't there when they actually finished. And that was kind of a terrible moment. It's a moment that we want to share together. And that comes as a real loss, I think. Yeah, I think definitely the camaraderie and the companionship and the leadership and just connecting with the students. I think we're all missing that. Um, 
But I like that part you were talking about the flexibility of working and, you know, your class, my class is broadcast journalism and film production and photography. It's definitely relies a lot on technology that traditionally has been in like in a laboratory setting You know, you've got a computer lab and you have to show up and do that. And I've noticed that too, that in the last couple of years, I let students edit on their own laptops and that really freed up the amount of time they had to work on it. Um, do you notice any patterns happening with the kids? Do you think the work is better or their workflow is different when they can work at home as opposed to having just the 50 minute class period? Well, fortunately we're on a block schedule. I think the 50 minute class period is idiotic. I don't need to see 210 students or whatever, whatever my load is every single day. They don't need to see me every single day. They don't need to be carrying 50 pound backpacks to and from school because they have homework in every class. It's, ridiculous it's not conducive to teaching and the one thing it changed when we went to block scheduling it forced teachers to change what they do history teachers no longer could lecture for an entire class period um, and even at that point we're talking about 1996 or 97 we knew that was a terrible method for passing on for learning whereas collaborative learning discussion in those modes, we learned so much more. Um, for me, one a transformative assignment when I was in high school was uh, we were reading Hiroshima by John Hersey, and the teacher had the sudden idea of, let's prosecute the United States. It's a character in that um, book who suggests that as the atomic bombing is a war crime, and I was the prosecuting attorney for that. To this day, I remember and this is back in 1979, I remember the best arguments, both for and against the actual bombing. And the I, I suspect that many of them remember the details and the arguments from that time period because they were so engaged. So all along, we've had great models for learning and teaching. Why did we forget them then, if, if they're so great? I mean, I can't remember a, a standardized test that I remember, you know, but you do remember those experiences, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, there's a consensus of, among any serious educator that, and student that standardized tests are ridiculous. So why do we still do them? It's political. It's our political overlords who want to either punish us or try to prove whatever their agenda is. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with you on that. Um, and it's funny, the the whole lecturing thing that there are a lot of faculty at my school that do that. And <laughs> I was talking to Teresa Nielsen, who's a chemistry teacher at my school, and she calls it filibustering. She's like, you can't filibuster the kids. <laughs> um, the, the key is to learn how to learn, I think. And our best teachers are the ones who encourage us to explore on our own. And it's complete. It's so powerful in our lives, and I clearly our system doesn't encourage that. I'm not sure any system has ever encouraged that. Um, I don't know why I do that. I had a teacher who once described me as the best student she knew, only because of my curiosity. My peers don't don't necessarily have that. I don't see that among kids um, throughout my career. Although I see it a lot less than I used to. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And teaching journalism, it's like all about the it's a core fundamental skill is you got to be curious about the world and people in order to do your job. 
Um, and I, yeah, I'm not sure that's a whole other podcast series, I think, <laughs> uh, which I'm, I'm willing to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think like the passion piece is missing, you know, like I, I wonder why we're banging our head against the wall, complaining about kids being distracted on their phones in class or why they want to go to the bathroom because they, they don't really need to go to the bathroom. They just need a break because they're bored. But we have destroyed that passion. Um, the last time I really remember it is probably in the 90s, in the late 90s, where kids would come into my AP English class just excited about talking about a book. I just remember one student in particular who just walked up with a bounce and asked, hey, are we going to discuss Grapes of Wrath today? And of course, now we would never teach Grapes of Wrath because it was the time to get through a book that large. But her enthusiasm was completely infectious. Um, did, she, did everyone in the class share it? Probably not. But it doesn't take much for us to remember those moments uh, and understand what the, the magic of those times. Now it's just we have to get on to the next unit, the next unit, the test. we got to prepare for the test. And we've beaten out um, any kind of curiosity of the students. And in terms of writing instruction, we know so much more now. But what do we do with that? Um, are we are kids pursuing anything with writing? Are they really pursuing it, or are they just answering prompts in a standardized form? And we, you and I, both know it's mostly the second, right? You say we beat the curiosity and the passion out of the kids. Um, is it because we hand them everything, or do you think it's because they're afraid that they're going to have the wrong answer and? <laughs> And, and get in trouble if they don't give the answer that they think you as a teacher want to see. Right. Well, the sociologist in me says that it's a reflection of their parents' anxiety. That overall, they're just afraid of falling behind and they're afraid of not succeeding. And I, we see this writ large in our society as a whole um, that our students do not probably don't have the same economic prospects as their parents. I knew that if I had assigned a 10-page essay on a Tuesday and it was due Thursday, or let's be nicer, on Monday, and I would give them that choice because I would go ahead and laugh at them as they ruined their weekend, but they would do it. They are so goal-oriented now that they don't have the... They're unwilling to tell me to go to hell which is what they ought to do. <laughs> and I admire them completely for their, for their hard work and their willingness to put up. But it's resulted in a system where they just want to, we tell them how to get through it and they'll do whatever they have to do to get through it. You know, we know that's not healthy for them in any way. It's Absolutely. Really- I know it's a system of compliance, right? If you Absolutely. don't comply, whatever how crazy or absurd the rule of the deadline is, if you don't do that, you're get, you get punished. And I, and I see that sometimes with my journalism students who are unwilling to take a strong stand. And a lot of it, I think, just has, is fear of pissing off someone who might write a, a recommendation. Absolutely. I and, have that same problem with my students, yep. And, you know, that I, I suspect it's worse at your school because there's this strong sense from certain individuals that if you piss me off, I won't write you a recommendation. At Redondo, it's a different atmosphere, but you could still see the way fear 
clouds their judgment. And that's a really, it's ugly. Um, the funny thing is my students, particularly my publication kids, are not doing their other work. And it has to do with the way it's been set up. I want to say they've been excused, but pretty much before March 13th, whatever grade they achieve, they can't drop below. I'm not sure. I, I don't even think I disagree with that. It's If I were teaching English, I'd find it annoying. Um, and yet I look at my photo students, and it's like, I don't care. It's fine. Um, get through this, guys. Try to find some meaning. And I had a great conversation yesterday with one of my photo kids who she's an interesting one she always she's the student class who always asks questions she's never confident enough to think she understands the assignment and so of course she asked me emailed me asking what the assignment really is and i felt it was important to draw to make that connection because she um is a foster kid lives with like seven other people in a house and she has so many issues. And then I said, look, you wanted to write about, you wanted us to write about your life. You wanted a reporter to, to interview you for a story about the foster system. And at that point I said, why don't you tell the story photographically? You're in a house full of people, get some photographs that illustrate that. She said, hey, I could probably take a photograph of my social worker during a Zoom meeting. I go, absolutely, that's part of your story. And then go ahead and add some information to that. And so I did a, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good intervention, I thought. And I thought I left her in a good place with the possibility of finding some meaning out of all of this. My main thing was let's lower her anxiety level because she walks around with a lot on a daily basis and let's somehow turn this into something a little more positive. And I hope, I can't wait to see what she turns in. And I really can't hope to reconnect and comment because it'll be fun. Yeah, I've done that with my students as well, photography students and my cinema students who can't get into the world to shoot either. Uh, and trying to find that great balance uh, where their subject of their topic or their prompt or their challenge mm. is the thing that they actually need to wrestle with. So I intentionally ask the kids to go interview other ones to see how they're doing to make that connection. And I think it's great if you can connect. And shouldn't that be how all assignments are? Science or math, whatever, like connect with your real life. What do you care about? What are you worried about? And then use that as leverage. You know, that's the, the spark that ignites the learning. Um, so Mitch, you're away from school. Uh, you're stuck in the house with your wife and luckily not your adult sons, maybe. <laughs> Youngest is here. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, what have you learned about yourself while being on quarantine? You know, in some ways quarantine is like Groundhog Day. You know, Saturdays I'm exhausted. And so often I, I've always joked that I'm I could become an observant Jew and follow the Sabbath because of the way I live on my Saturdays. <laughs> I really don't want to talk to anyone. I really just want to lie around. I mostly just want to read. Um, maybe, maybe get a little exercise in. And that's become more of the norm now. You know, I always see myself as much more of an introvert. Um, but of course, our profession makes us more extroverted by just as a way of surviving it. I'm just missing a lot of one-on-one -on -one connections. I 
am missing like that moment with my yearbook kid, you know, when they finish. Um, with my student yesterday, I would have much preferred for it to be face to face. And I'm a little bit more social than I thought I was. Although I have rediscovered the pleasures of just doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I mentioned that I sort of need structure in my life to get things done. In some ways, I need structure in my life to get the things I need to get done. I don't need structure for my interests because I follow them regardless. But so now I suddenly realize I kind of, I want to create a bit more of a schedule. You know, I'm, I'm not sleeping in that late. Although I have to say getting enough sleep is wonderful. That's, Absolutely. That's the biggest change. Absolutely. I feel like I, I'm sleeping in sometimes to like 6 a.m. <laughs> uh, so that's enough sleep for me, I guess. Um, how have you kept your sanity while on lockdown? It's so easy for me, to be honest. I, you know, I take longer over my morning newspapers. I, I read the New York and the LA Times every day, and I get the hard copies still. And that's been, you know, that's just my weekend routine, having some a more time to digest, to dig in a little bit more into social media, do some more reading, um, never having to be, you know, during the work week, and I'm usually at school by 7 a.m., I'm getting more exercise in. Uh, one of the things, it's fun at getting myself, I love exhausting myself. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> now, if I do an hour on the elliptical and it takes a half hour to cool off before I'm even ready to shower. And once I'm done, I'm just, sometimes I just lie and stare, or, you know, read a little, you know, <laughs> not read. I'm, and the other thing, the other opportunity is reading big books. So I'm slogging through uh, Brothers Karamazov right now. But after my exercise, I'll read something a little bit more fun. It, aren't those the Muppets? The Brothers Karamazov? Oh, I'm thinking of something else. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned the schedule uh, being relaxed. You can exercise more and you have more time to dive into, explore some personal interests. So what do you like best about remote work? But when I had a group meeting and it was, a, you know, it was 105 students and 15 showed up. So there's not, I don't see much purpose for that. Fortunately, photography does well on its own. And I've often thought about creating an online course for photography. If you just put in relevant links, if you're teaching a concept, you just all the, you teach the kids, Google that concept and add the photography and they'll see dozens of examples. Really simple to do, often illustrated. And I sometimes feel like I'm not necessary for that process at all. I think with my yearbook kids, they didn't need me in the slightest. They so took over the process that they were song. My newspaper kids, I'm, they're sort of surprising me. They are publishing two or three stories at least per week. Kids have assigned it. We're now working on our final edition. So we, you know, we have a meeting online, and that's all we really need to do. Funny thing about journalism is I don't even block schedules, which are nice from a project point of view. It's more like let's catch up and then you guys go off and do what you want. I'd rather meet seven days a week, 15 minutes a day, just because that's all we really need to do. You know, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with them and that works really well online where I can ask questions. Um, 
I suspect I'm a little less intimidating online than I am in person. <laughs> I, and it's not that it's not an attitude. It's like I've really worked hard on that. It's more about I'm, I usually tower over them even if we're sitting. I project well. They, you do. they get a little scared. <laughs> and I think online maybe it's less scary. Maybe I did something goofy in the background every time. <laughs> well, but I really like what you're saying though. It's like, <clears throat> I feel like sometimes you just need to check in, make sure they're on track and then get out of their way because they've got work to do. And once you've done that heavy lifting, like you said at the beginning, the training, the culture that you develop, you know, the expectations, the relationship building, then you just get out of their way, you know, give them the challenge, keep them on track. You're the bumpers in the gutter for like the bowling alley. Right. Um, but then just get out of the way. I love that. Absolutely. Um, the only key is you have to just make sure that they're accountable. Right. And no, I'm going to read their work and we know they know we'll discuss it at some point, but you're right. Get out of their way. Although the check-in I think is super important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the kids still really rely on that. And that's a good thing. And, and I feel like those conversations where you're talking and I think a lot of Uh, teachers are struggling, like they're swimming in emails. And I think that's absolutely the wrong format to have these conversations because you need to have that back and forth. You know, it's like sometimes you're texting your friends and, you know, it's not coming across and your sarcasm definitely doesn't come across (laughs) with a text. And so you miss out on so much and it's so much faster in a, in a conversation like we're having right now. And so sometimes I think for some teachers, it'd be helpful to like figure out what's the best way to work. You talked about some of these already, but like, what are some of the advantages to uh, teaching remotely, either for yourself or for your students? For the kids, less regimentation. Um, I remember an article from about four or five years ago where some teachers just shadowed students and they wanted to kill themselves by the end of the day. I mean, it was really that simple. And there's a reason why teachers make such terrible audiences for staff development, right? And we are so rude, um, partly because we think we know everything. I think that's the biggest problem. But we just don't put up with that anymore. So the, ir- the greatest irony is why do we expect our students to put up with it? That makes me insane when I think about that. I'm about to set up a, a sign-up sheet for every one of my photo kids. And I'm not going to make it necessary, but I'm going to just – set it up, sign up. I want to talk to you. And I think that's going to be really cool. And I'm excited about that. We'll just do five to 10 minute video chats. And I'm just going to ask them a couple questions. Um, you know, what's the best thing? It's sort of what you're asking here in this interview. I already have these same questions and then kind of discuss with them. How can you make this more meaningful? And it's a, it's a pretty cool method, I think. And in, in meeting these kids this way, it's, and this conferencing, I think will feel energizing. One of our biggest problems is that the kids are afraid to say anything in class. Um, their fear of looking stupid or having the wrong answer. And a lot of it is from teachers, but even more if it's from peers who and I don't understand at all. I don't understand why this happens. I wish I was smarter about it. I've not been able to figure out a way of doing it in class, but I think online automatically take care of itself. And I'll allow kids to sign up in pairs because it's like they work in pairs in my class anyway because they have to share cameras, but I think they feel a little more comfortable if they have a little 
that one backup person, right? So they know they're not, being, they don't feel like they're being interrogated or on trial. Oh my God, I've got a meeting with Ziegler. What am I supposed to say or do? Um, in the end, I'm just going to say, what are you doing to take care of yourself? That's all I really care about. Um, so what are some of the lessons you think we've learned as educators that you want to keep and implement once the pandemic is over? So, you know, my classes are such project-based learning classes anyway. And I think that's always been a natural part of the course. I'm incredibly worried about yearbook next year. Have we learned anything to make that a better process? And I don't know. Um, we used to rely on going to workshops. Well, one workshop, one workshop's canceled. The other one is now online. And are we going to be able to generate the types of ideas? And yet, you know, what advantages? Well, again, it's the gift of time. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at high risk for this. And given the progress so far i'm not going to go back in july i'm not going to go back in august even if we do and you know i'm thankful i have i'll have close to 100 days of sick leave so i'm all on board for figuring out how to teach this stuff i'm thankful i'm working you know doing a workshop this summer that's going to be online so i'm going to steal everyone else's ideas <laughs> and you know i like that idea you were talking about the having the kids explore and having the time to explore um and i wonder how that crosses over into other disciplines like science or social studies and you know the fact that we don't have time to do you know um a gallery walk um a safari we did photo safaris where you just sort of explore a community or you know bring that down to like a, a certain topic you explore the topic and just get free reign to just go where your mind leads you and your curiosity and um, how we've drained that and now we have some time that maybe we can do that again um that should be really interesting and like you said learn from the pros not be trapped by you were saying the kids are trapped by the mindset and the style and the culture of the past staff or the past publication but i wonder how that also pertains to educators too like i'm in this building my department always does it this way. I've got these personalities and these philosophies and this is what we've done. Um, and how do we get out of that? And, you know, I'm having these conversations with a lot of educators and one of the things they notice is like, they need to reach out. They're telling me that it helps to talk to people outside of my department at other schools around the country um, to get those ideas to survive. And I think for me, one of the silver linings in all this is that I'm not trapped by this building. I'm not trapped by this school or this school district or this state. I can go anywhere because I need to find ideas now. And like you said, the best ideas are from the pros and I find pros all over the world. And so I rely on those, those pros to help me. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, so what are some of the silver linings do you think in remote teaching? I mean, you've, you've talked about some of these with time and flexibility and things like that, but um, if you had to narrow it down to one silver lining in all of this, um, what, what would you choose? Well, the silver lining would come from us truly pushing with our students how to follow a passion, how to develop an interest, how to be much more of a self-directed learner. I can't think of anything that would be more useful. If they tell the stories of their lives, if they pursue that and think about it without too many restraints, they can do it. I, I just fear that we've beaten it out of them, that their capability and curiosity is dead. 
And it's really sad to see. And so the, that's the best we can get out of this. If we can rekindle, and I think for a lot of the kids, we will rekindle curiosity. And if that happens, then this could become transformative. I love that. I totally agree with you on that. It's probably the most important skill, right? Or mindset to have. Absolutely. Everything else is irrelevant. If you're not curious about anything, math or history related or science, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so what do you want policymakers to change or adopt as we look to next school year and as we reimagine the future of education? If, the, if this leads to less emphasis on standardized testing, then I think uh, as a society will profit. My greatest moments in high school were during junior year of English, where we sat on, the, on a shag carpet and the teacher sat on a beanbag and every day started with discussion. And discussion about the book, uh, she would create discussion questions, that would be the basis of some discussion. That was the entire class and she was particularly good at eliciting comments from people. She knew how to follow up with questions. Uh, I mean, she's a, the greatest teacher I've ever seen. And for those of us who bought into that classroom, we, just went in there excited every day because we were going to discuss ideas and we saw connections between the ideas of the books and our own lives and we began to question the whole world around us because she learned that you have to start with the individual interest you have to hook people in so they see a connection with their lives before you move into they have to decide that this is worth reading and then they read at the same time, it was one of the most rigorous classes I ever had. We wrote like crazy. We wrote much more than any other teacher I ever had. It just didn't feel like work. And that sense of excitement, all I know is it was transformative for me. And we have got to get back to those moments. When I look at my photo kids, though, their level of interest is so low. So what do they love, though? Here's the big question. What, why do they like my class? And I know they do. I think for many of them, photography is their favorite class. One, they get off their butts. They're not at a desk all day. They're not listening to me all day. They're going off and doing things. If that meant that the kids are doing more research in English classes and discovering what they want and finding things that are meaningful to them, I think that translates really well. That's fantastic. I totally agree with you on the, uh, the getting off of your butt kind of situation. Um, That's our classes. We're so lucky. Yeah, we're very lucky. Um, if there was one piece of advice that you'd like to share with teachers or parents or policymakers about remote learning, what would it be? Relax. Take a deep breath. Don't give up. Provide a little bit of guidance, but not too much, about and ideas for students on learning. I mean, this is a golden opportunity to pursue interests or to just discover what your interests are. That's probably more important because are they interested in anything? It's time to discover it. And, you know, create, I, I would actually create a lesson called the rabbit hole. This week, your whole assignment is to give me one topic that you suddenly want to pursue and show me a few ideas how you might pursue it. I love that. What a great idea. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> That's, that's why I like jazz instead of classical music. I just got to improvise on my feet. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite jazz musician? Oh gosh, it varies. Uh, 
historically Bobby Hutcherson on vibraphone. Um, you know, everyone starts with Miles Davis and then they move into Coltrane and then later in life they discover bebop because Charlie Parker is actually kind of hard. Um, I just need to find the new guys because it's an art form that changes. I don't know who they are yet. I know I'll find it on Tidal or Spotify and I need to start listening to the, you know, the young guns. Well, Mitch Ziegler, this has been a great conversation as always. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, I hope I gave you something good. It was, it was fun. If you want to hear more from Mitch Ziegler, listen to my extended conversation with him. He talks about how to teach using project-based learning and reveals his secrets to creating innovative class culture and how to ignite student passion. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. You can find the details on our website, changethenarrative.net.